0: You, 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 know, I, B, I, B in the, in the town all oh, day. Hey. in the, the, S, E, A. In a S-E-A. You, you know, I, B, I, B in the, in
1: the, oh, sea Hello and welcome to episode 346 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Poliachi Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton.
0: And I'm Tristan Carcino,
1: And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48
0: champion Seattle Seahawks. Oh. The number seven seed. Hey, Seattle Seahawks. What you mean to say is home of the playoff bound Seattle Seahawks. That does have a better ring
1: to it. Thank you. Uh, If you haven't already listened to our reaction to Sunday night's Lions Packers game. (laughs) Really,
0: just like a Lions Packers emergency pod. <laughs> we would be
1: such a good Lions podcast. I, I do not want to bog us down thinking about what our name would be if we were a Detroit sports
0: centric podcast. It would be but... called The Fabulous Pelton Cast. <laughs> oh, wow. What a you great understand name. the podcast is not specific to Seattle. I, I do understand. Okay. That. But I also
1: understand that we like coming up with names for podcasts. Okay.
0: So. Uh, we have a
1: lot to get to, including previewing said playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers on Saturday afternoon. So let's get right into it, starting with this week's beer, uh, the Lagunitas Hazy Wonder Hazy IPA. When a brilliant idea strikes, why did they say a light bulb goes off and not on? Well, I don't know that this actually has to do with the uh, the the beer as I read it. Uh, how can be so hazy <laughs> be so bright. Life is uncertain. Don't sip. Hazy wonder embodies our endless fascination with hop forward brewing expressed in a bright and unfiltered light. Bright bright and unfiltered light. Wow, this is some terrific read. <laughs> off what this were stand. you reading? <laughs>
0: you have the New Yorker out? Like, what <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> what were you reading that wasn't affiliated with the beer? No, it's
1: just it's just a line off here. What it, it, The difference between a spark of genius and a flash in the pan really just comes down to think or whim.
0: All right, just let's just move on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on the field. Take the L, move on. (laughs) He'll bounce back. Oh, will
1: I? Will I? All right, a number of toasts this week, starting with a congratulations to UW football ranked number eight overall in the final AP poll after beating Texas in the Alamo Bowl tops among Pac-12 teams. The 13th top 10 finish in school history.
0: I, for one, am furious about this finish. (laughs) About how low it is? About how low it is. Number eight overall. They lose one fucking game to Arizona State. Look, I'm telling you straight up. National Championship game. UW-Georgia. It's closer than 65-7. to No, I had that
1: thought. Like, put UW out there for the second half. Because, granted, I mean, also
0: put, like, 12 other teams around the country out there. Also fair. Where did TCU end up finishing in the rankings? I think they finished second, didn't they? No, I thought they dropped. Oh, maybe a I bunch. was looking at the coaches poll. But the thing is, people were mad about me being anti. Again, the Big Twelve not necessarily being a small conference, but like,
1: <laughs> especially I don't know if the Pac Twelve should be going to anyone a small conference.
0: They are the TCU. is a, a better Tulane. team. UW is a better team than TCU. We never toasted to Tulane. Are we toasting to Tulane? You yeah, fuck USC.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they get no Pac Twelve love if they're headed for. Uh, I guess TCU... Is this the final poll? Yeah, it is. UW's number eight. TCU finished number two. Okay. So dumb. I don't... That's, it's like... That's pretty <laughs> ridiculous. Too late, number nine. The,
0: the rankings were Georgia, extremely long drop, TCU number two. I, I mean... Wait, who are you going to put at number three? I mean, Ohio State is the one team through the playoff who seems like a competitive team because some people are Michigan like, well, you can't put
1: them ahead of Michigan because they lost head to head, which yeah. is, you know, pole logic. Uh, I, but I think if UW had played Georgia, like, UW's defense was not going to stop Georgia, but TCU's didn't either, and UW's offense was going to have oh, done better against Georgia. UW is
0: scoring points against Bring them. on Georgia, and Also, is what we're well, shit, nobody's bringing on Georgia because they schedule I'm... nobody next year. <laughs> Tennessee Martin is the only one who's bringing on Georgia. I don't even think they play road games. Like, come the fuck on, college football. If you want to be like the NFL, how about this? Start playing a real fucking sport here. Instead of scheduling Tennessee Martin, start scheduling some real teams and not being afraid to lose one game. With this playoff, I mark my words, the most important thing that can happen with a playoff is teams stop being so fucking scared to lose a game.
1: I mean, I would assume eventually there will be some sort of agreement among the power conferences when there's two of them uh, to you know determine their <laughs> yeah, schedule. Yeah, the Big Ten and schedules. the SEC will get yeah, together. Exactly. And they'll base that on where you finish within your conference, you play and some other team. And the best teams will never play a road
0: game. It's just like, like, you can't be the defending national champion and be like, well, uh, Kirby Smart's like, well, it's really hard to repeat. And it's like... For other teams, it is. The the reality is, I think they had Oklahoma on the schedule, and then the SEC, when Oklahoma was coming over, Correct. took them off the yeah. schedule. So, I get that, but at the same time, when you're like, you, did whole fucking... Like, the SEC kind of sucks! If we're being honest, the you're, you're SEC... You're just now
1: coming to the conclusion?
0: No, like, the teams in the SEC are not that good. I see. Georgia and Alabama are good, but you look at it and you're like, they're on the road against Florida, Right? There's, when you have a few teams that are really good, that kind of means that everybody else is not as good. <laughs> UCLA and USC, it's not going to be easy. All right. Congrats <clears throat> to Matty chosen. Oh, no. I have another complaint about this, though. Oh, I have another complaint uh, about this because they have... Uh, I don't know if you could pull this up from the William Hill Caesar Sportsbook, but they have odds for the 2023 National Championship, which will we played in 2024. They showed them on SportsCenter last night or whatever after the National Championship came, and I think they forgot to include the University of Washington. Motherfucking USC was higher at like 1,400. Did they not realize that Michael Penix Jr. was coming back, or was the loss of Sam Heward that important to them? Well, you told
1: me earlier that you were going to be quote on one on this podcast. But
0: the, these are things. Give me just uh, give me to Vegas in this next year. I'll put down it, What are the Huskies? Two thousand to one. Literally, I'm they still are scrolling. They are one Arizona State game away from the,
1: playing in the college football playoff. The Huskies are five thousand to one. Putting them just below TCU. Are you kidding me? Oof.
0: 5,000 to 1. Oh, Archie Manning are, and Texas were they, higher. They are ahead of Oregon State at plus 6,000. Who is doing... Dog, William Hill, you need a come-to-Jesus moment here. Like, what is going... Where Where are they at, Nash? They finished number seven in the country, or number eight in the country. Number eight. And they brought back everybody. Florida State? Number 17. Utah. They, I mean... you. Five, there is a five, okay, okay. I'm gonna be in Vegas at some point this offseason, and money will be put down on the University of Washington. Four thousand to one, right? If you put down ten thousand or ten dollars, what do you get paid? Well, it's not five thousand, it's plus, that's a different thing. They are they're uh, plus five thousand, fifty to one.
1: So if you put down ten dollars, you, you would get 500 win. back, yes.
0: I'll fucking put down 20 bucks to get a thousand back when UW wins the national championship
1: well there you go you heard it first here first huskies 202324
0: is, is that unre- I, look, is that li- unreasonable? look they're not that likely to win they- the national championship I get that but they're a lot more likely than plus 500 if you look at the way way too 5, early 000.
1: power rankings for for the upcoming season the huskies are higher much higher than 18th. It's fucking ridiculous. Now, statistical projections will probably not have the Huskies that high, as they never actually rated that high in terms oh, of efficiency God, this dog. season.
0: They, literally, they did not punt. What do you want from them?
1: Well, maybe not to lose in Arizona State. One game. They are one game away from the college
0: football playoff. TCU lost to some trash Kansas State team, but nobody brings that up, and then gets beat by 58 points in the national championship. It's pathetic. It's I mean, pathetic. You know,
1: the, the Kansas State is quite comparable to Arizona State. They might be perhaps more generously comparable to UCLA, to whom the Huskies <gasps> also lost, you'll recall.
0: So Who did Kansas State get killed by in a bowl game? Oh, they, Alabama. I'll accept that. <laughs> <laughs> they were a lot closer than TCU was. Anyway. Anyway, I, I thought it that's that's great, though, because the thing is, games are not decided by Vegas odds. And I love to see those Vegas odds. I love that the Huskies can come into 2023 as underdogs. This last we'll probably talk about the program for a little while. After I mean, week.
1: I don't think that like that Kaelin DeBoer is going to be putting up the, the Vegas odds in the locker room. I don't think you're really allowed to do that. but but That's got to be some sort of NCAA violation. It doesn't hurt. Otherwise, Rick Neuheisel
0: would have been doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Times are different. Times are different. Anyway. They're
1: not, they're not that different when it comes to gambling.
0: <laughs> anyway, I saw that and I was just like... <laughs> you know, people can't actually see the facial expression face. that you're making <laughs> when you shoot that. Sometimes there's glitches in the computer. <sighs> anyway, we'll see. We'll see.
1: So, congrats to Matty Beniers chosen as part of the Pacific Division team for the NHL <sighs> All Star Game. According to Stats Perform, this makes Seattle the first t- city ever to have All Stars in the most re- rookie All Stars in the most recent MLB <laughs> Julio Rodriguez, NFL Tariq Woolen, and NHL season. Hello. So, Seattle, the home of star rookies, right now. Believe it or not, this is big. I mean, Matty Beneers is playing great. We'll talk a little more about the Kraken in a second here. Uh, Speaking of the more recent Kraken first-round pick, as Matty Baneers was the first in franchise history, congrats to Shane Wright and Team Canada, who beat Chechia 3-2 in overtime to win gold in the IIHF World Junior Championships, with Wright scoring a goal in that final on his 19th birthday. Wow. So he's not, still not getting playing time for the Kraken. He's headed back to the minor leagues with the team rolling right now and, and thinking I mean, more about good. the playoffs than the playoffs.
0: like in the minors as long as you can.
1: People, It's like a big deal, I think, in Kraken circles to a degree. Uh, next up, congrats to former Seahawks defensive end Dwight Franey and kick returner Devin Hester, two of the 15 players chosen as finalists.
0: You somehow remembered that both of these players played for the Seahawks? For
1: the 2023 Pro Football <laughs> Hall of Fame class both finished their career in Seattle <laughs> after God. building their Hall of Fame
0: cases elsewhere. Devin Hester's moment, I remember a little bit more than Dwight there was the
1: Because the playoff game against Atlanta was very memorable. And no,
0: like, Devin Hester had some big moments. By the way, by the way, uh, I I said this when I was at the game. We'll talk about this later in the Seahawks game. I said this. I was like, Godwin Ijwibike. Iguibuque. Iguibuque. I was like, he's, he's really ready to take one back.
1: Oh, I 100% agree with that. And... You, did you see, by the way, so the Bills had two kickoff returns for touchdowns. I did see that, yes. On Sunday. The I, last I player mind. to do that.
0: I absolutely saw that.
1: Leon Washington yes. during his Seahawks stint and I believe, 2010. Uh, was we're remembering some guys. <laughs> but did you see also that Danny Kelly posted that, uh, third Pelton Brother, on Wikipedia, Dwight Freeney's photo is the neon green <laughs> with blue <laughs> sleeves Seahawks jerseys that were very short-lived.
0: Wow, I kind of feel bad not for very, Dwight Freeney that that <laughs> I.
1: It's a Wikipedia weirdness in terms of what photos are on there. Uh, speaking of current Seahawks, anyway, congrats Seahawks to... Seahawks legends, both of them. Yes. Congrats to Quandre Diggs, chosen NFC Defensive Player of the Week after his performance, obviously the interception in overtime that set up the Seahawks' winning drive.
0: Congrats to... It's not anymore. It, Do you think somebody changed that when they, they were to, just like, dog...
1: Huh? I don't know. You you have to look at the vision history, Version history, I should say. Uh, congrats to friend of the pod, Stephen Vogt, joining the Mariners. Hello. Is bullpen coach and quality control coach after retiring as player with the A's last season. So excited to have him. He makes his home, as we talked about at his retirement in the Seattle area. So uh, he's going to
0: be coaching my children at some point. I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> because
1: I, one of them's going to be in the major leagues, or because he's no, going no, to no, coach no. recreational? I don't know.
0: Probably, he's probably on a better trajectory I than coaching so. my children. <laughs>
1: The question with Stephen Vo was always whether he was going to coach or go into TV because he was really great on MLB Network during the off seasons. In the Nobody past, knows so.
0: why he's a friend of the pod. They don't know about the one time that we tailgated with Stephen Vogt. I think we've talked about it on the podcast. Okay, yeah, that was our when one brush with stardom. Oh. <laughs> You've <laughs> been you it, you're probably the person fame. who's interviewed super the most times in your entire life but tail getting one time with a, like pre- a solid utility baseball player. Oh, he's better than a solid utility. He was an all-star at one point, wasn't all he? All right, all right. Yeah,
1: put some put some respect on Stephen Vogt's name. He that's actually World
0: Champion Stephen Vogt. Thank you.
1: All right, lastly, congrats to the Pelton Cast Fantasy Champions. We decided this last week as I mentioned on the uh the emergency pod uh, decided to rule over the Bills and Bengals games after that. Players in the final after that game was canceled, and uh, great news is Demar <laughs> Hamlin continues to recover and is back home now. But uh, in the Peltoncast Champions League, congrats to Mark Stewart who will get the uh, the Arizona under as part of our deal where the the what's that paying out? I'm I don't know if I mean these are approximately you know two to one, and I think I put down twenty on each of these. Okay. I don't know the exact odds on either, all of them. Uh, so that was chosen by the Arizona owned, under was my one of my two locks. Because what I didn't he win on? We'll talk about that with Ben Baldwin at some point soon here. But it was the New Orleans over.
0: I still can't believe that didn't win.
1: Not even close. There were two wins off. Uh, ben Peacock beat me in the home of the Super Bowl 48 <laughs> champions. Yes. By like two points. And because that was the league that Ben is in, he gets all three of the picks, the, uh, the over-unders that Ben picked as locked, locks. The Las Vegas under, the Tampa Bay under, and the Tennessee under. Ben went three for three.
0: I, well, look, we're not going to take a victory lap just yet because when we get to the overall season over-unders, those three were great. Nailing the locks is great. I'm feeling pretty good about my over-unders for the season. I, oh. think, I think I crushed you two, in fact. I'm not gonna say anything. Did you did you look this up? Oh, of course I haven't. You're so smug right now. God damn it! Well, I'm not that smug.
1: I'm you just beat saying, me. I'm just saying you didn't crush us. Did I beat you though? I don't.
0: I. Oh, we'll, you remember. We'll save it for the pot. Oh, you remember. We'll you save know it for exa- the pot. Oh, oh, Kevin Pelton forgot. Oh, sometimes there's glitches in the computer. No way. Tell me, did I did I beat you? We. This is not the time for that. <sighs> Okay, well, congrats on... And lastly, to Alex Forte and the
1: home of the four-time WNBA Champions League, he gets your lock, which was the Cincinnati over, was the one that hit for you. So uh, if you were one of those champions, please get us your uh, addresses so that we can make sure you get those tickets and are able to cash them in.
0: Most importantly this year, though, two important things happen in fantasy football, which you may not realize. The most important thing that happened in fantasy football is... You still have never won a fantasy football championship. Finished second twice, third, six times in 12 Belton Gas fantasy seasons. So you currently are still tied Zero with the Champions. Oregon Ducks for national championships. Uh, also, most importantly, I honorably made the Champions League next year on true. my own. On your own merits. On
1: my own. You know, no nepotism required. There we the go. Slide. And, and again, there is,
0: there's going to be a nepotism pick for the Champions League because you made it in two leagues, I right? did make
1: it. I mean, it won't be a nepotism. We'll just take the fifth place finisher in presumably the Champions League since that's hypothetically the harder
0: one. So, Competing with the best of the best. The Zacks of the Whitmans. <laughs> well, he'll be in the Champions League this year. And not not a champion. <clears throat>
1: he got knocked off by man.
0: By you. The second he signed Deshaun Watson was the second that he uh, he was doomed.
1: I couldn't complain too much about being the champion, the number one seed, and getting eliminated in the semifinals. Because the you like, u- eliminated. Because I did the same thing to Zach. Uh. All right, well, that brings us along. It's time to get into our rundown, and we start with some Mariners news. Hello. Because the Mariners have finally signed a free agent for more than the minimum.
0: The Mariners have transacted. <laughs>
1: they transacted. They just didn't free agent and they especially historically have not free-agented without, with uh, offensive players, strictly with pitchers. As uh, Jeff Pratt and my ESPN colleague reported last Saturday that they had agreed to a one-year, $7 million deal with outfielder AJ Pollock that is the largest they have <laughs> given to an offensive player as a free agent in the jury to put out your own. Hello! Who was the player beforehand?
0: Who was the high? Oh, oh my god, it was somebody really funny. Was oh. it somebody coming back? No, No, it was like a rotation infielder. Uh, Uh. It escapes
1: me. You'll have to look that
0: up. Uh, Pollock was an all-star in
1: 2015 with Arizona and a part of the Dodgers' 2020 World Series winners before spending last season with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Now 35, Pollock's uh, significant overall decline last season in Chicago post he had career-low 681 ops. But uh, it was a really interesting split. He hit 11 of his 15 home runs. Chico Aoki.
0: There, Nori-, knew, Nori Aoki.
1: I knew it was a Japanese player. Uh 11 of his 14 homers last season came against left right-handed against left-handed pitchers, I should say, with a 6.19 slugging percentage against lefties. If you look overall, his split hasn't been quite that strong, but his career OPS nearly 100 points better against left-handed pitchers per Baseball Reference. Pollock was a plus defender early in his career, winning a gold glove in center field in 2015, but hasn't rated better than replacement on defense since 2018, primarily plays left field now. So this is kind of the, if it's not the price range we were expecting, it's the type of pickup that the Mariners have been talking about a long time, a right-handed hitty outfielder. That's what what the entire offseason is pointed toward. And I'm very concerned about that. Oh, really?
0: Yeah, because I, I,
1: I don't know if you're aware of this. The Mariners already had... A, an outfielder who they viewed as a platoon option against left-handed pitchers. I might say see Sam in Ofrio the,
0: the one thing that we've learned about baseball is a lot of fucking dudes are going to play this that's year. A, that's a fair point. And look, if if there's anything we've learned about paying attention to baseball for the first time since 1995, is that everybody's going to be in there. And some dudes that we are not thinking about at all right now are going to get in there. If Sam Haggerty is going to earn that job, he's going to have, he's going to have the reps or whatever. But I like mean the other
1: situation is they've the one part of the reason they wanted to add the outfield was the idea that it's basically going to be a rotation through the three outfield spots and DH. Exactly. So D- Teoscar D-H Hernandez or Pollock might be at, at that spot and Hagerty in left field because of his superior defense Uh, against left-handed pitchers. But uh, it it seems like a reasonable value here for Pollock. You know, again, when you make gestures is a reply, the listener cannot hear that. Maybe maybe I was about to talk. No, (laughs) maybe I wasn't. (laughs) Who were you?
0: Uh, uh,
1: The awkward pauses are supposed to be when we're on Zoom, not in person.
0: I, I think it's a fine signing. I mean, like, these are the types of players who ultimately end up being like the big, big name signings or whatever. They're going to be playing every single day. Like those are great. The Mariners passed on those. We understand why we get it, whatever we don't agree with it. These are the types of players that do in the end really, really matter, right? I I think you have to compare this to like a Carlos Santana, somebody like that. He's going to get at bats. He's going to get at bats in crucial moments. And if it's AJ Pollock, instead of, some of the very, very questionable hitters that the Mariners have had on their roster, getting those at bats. It is a better thing. So it's 7 million bucks for one year. The money's irrelevant. Like, I, I think this is the type of move that will probably, it makes the Mariners better and it gives them that extra bat, And it's something that they need, even if he's a pinch hitter, right? Like have, having his bat there is important as the season plays on. So, I, I don't think we should necessarily scoff at it. He will have important moments. There will be moments where we are toasting to A.J. Pollock next year, and I think that's an important thing. The same thing might not happen for somebody who's called up at the end of the season or whatever. It might not be Taylor Trammell or whatever, but like A.J. Pollock will have those moments.
1: And Trammell, I think, is one of the left-hand options for the Mariners in the outfield.
0: Yes. Him and Kelnick. But what I'm saying is he, he is a more important bat than probably anybody else. He's a more reliable bat than Jared Kalanick is, obviously.
1: Yeah, at this stage of his career, certainly. Although I think they are, you know, on paper, thinking of those two
0: players probably is a platoon at this point. AJ Pollock has performed in his career. He's been an all-star, right? Going by the Stephen Volk rules of, he's not just a, like, utility player or whatever, a role player. No, I mean, like,
1: this guy's played an important role. He you know, didn't end up starting in the playoffs, but he played an important role on the team that won the World
0: Series two years ago. Yeah. He's had some very good OPS. I don't what does the war look like? Like offensively, I mean he's been worth six war one time, you know? That's something that most players on the Mariners have not at any point in their career. It's clearly not replicable. It's not going to happen every year. But if offensively... Well, just he's just at
1: this stage of his career, I mean,
0: yes. But it, there's, it's a massive outlier as far as any season. That is also true. But like, God, 18 million bucks last year. Look, he's the type of player who was warranted $18 million in 2021. So to be able to sign him on a one-year deal for $7 million, I think is a it's kind of a steal for the Mariners as just a flyer year i'm good with it i'm good with it yeah i did want to talk about getting back and following baseball
1: so transitioning off of that i recently read edgar martinez's autobiography with larry stone edgar in autobiography and even though every season until last year that i was a mariners fan that i really followed the mariners edgar martinez was on the roster that didn't come close to covering his entire career. So there were some things I learned from this book and, uh, that I wasn't necessarily expecting. The, the main thing was something that we didn't know at the time. I don't think we, it really, anyone really knew until this book was the severity of the strabismus uh, eye condition that Edgar dealt with that caused his non-dominant eye, so like his right eye when he was hitting, to kind of go out unless he did intense eye exercises every day to kind of try to maintain that and maintain his vision. Kind of amazing when you think of someone who is as known for his batting eye as Edgar Martinez, that that was the case. That's awesome. I mean, he had 20-20 vision, but dealt with that with the non-dominant eye. The other thing that I I truly did know about the time, but had completely forgotten in the last 25 years that was discussed is that in 1998, when the Rays and Arizona Diamondbacks came into the league as expansion teams, the original proposal, instead of just the Milwaukee Brewers going from the AL to the NL to make it even numbers of teams, was that they were going to wildly revamp the leagues. <laughs> and all the West Coast teams were going to go into the NL, really? including the Mariners. And Mariners' ownership was in favor of this, apparently. Huh. Because they thought it would be better financially, you less travel with all those teams.
0: The Mariners' ownership forever is just willing to say Oh, that. well, for sure. At <laughs> no point in Mariners' ownership have they not been in favor of anything that will benefit them financially.
1: But ultimately— Love that the,
0: A.J. Pollock deal.
1: The Giants in particular were an obstacle to this because they did not want to be in the same league as the A's in the same market and uh, ultimately they went with the less complicated plan. But had it happened, and there was talk about this at the end of the 97 season, like either they would have had to make Edgar Martinez a full-time base, first baseman or trade him to the NL. Like They openly talked about trading him to the NL at that point. Wow. It's kind of to wild. To the AL. To the AL, yes. If the Mariners were in the
0: NL. Wow. Yeah.
1: So I'm glad for many reasons that didn't happen, and Edgar was able to play his entire career in Seattle.
0: I'm also glad that the uh, DH is now in Ever league. That that is also a helpful part of it. It'll be a relic of the past. Even thinking about that now. Yes, very much so. Uh, well, uh, we pour one out today for <clears throat> the money that the Mariners ownership didn't save <laughs> from 1998 realignment. <laughs> Honestly, that money that was spent on travel, they'll never be able to get that back. That's true. So that's true. <laughs> really makes. It We're think. still paying for it to this day. Really makes you think. All right, Seattle Kraken. Someday we're going to have fucking Padre-style ownership in Seattle. Somebody somebody will realize we're in the probably wealthiest place in the entire country. One of the billionaires in Seattle.
1: Alluded to this off the top, uh, Tokyo Matty-Beneers, Kraken win streak is at six. Their last five on the road as they swept through Canada. An impressive 5-1 win Thursday in Toronto with five different players scoring goals. And then they outdid themselves Saturday at Ottawa, winning 8-4 with all eight goals this time coming from different players and 11 different players recording at least one assist Hello, in that game.
0: The Kraken were winning six in a row with their woes. Through nice. Canada,
1: nice. Then they did it more defensively in Montreal. Is uh, Martin Jones earned just the second shutout of the season for the Kraken and the fifth in franchise history on Mon- on Monday, beating the Canadians four to nothing. Back north of the border on Tuesday, as part of a back to back, the Kraken beat Buffalo four to three. <laughs>
0: I like it. The Habs are the, the Habs are the only team that get to claim the north.
1: <laughs> Why well, do. I, so I think that some of the teams in Edmonton and Calgary are pretty fucking far north. Are too. they nor-
0: farther north than Montreal?
1: <laughs> I think so because I think Montreal probably seems farther north for the same reason that Toronto does. Right, like it is farther north than Toronto, but it's the same effect it benefits from. One of Edmonton and Calgary is the farthest north by far.
0: All right. You're, you're confirming that? In the southern city, Montreal, Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Montreal relative to Seattle. I assume it's north of us, but it, I would Wow, be open it's too. really not that north. I told, Mo- I told you. Montreal is south of Seattle. There it is. Are you kidding me? There it is. Go north, young lads. <laughs> wow. Montreal is like a luxurious southern city. It's basically <laughs> like. It's true. Is, is it. What about relative to Portland? I' pretty close. I, I, I might
1: be north of Portland. We're just eyeballing this on a Google <laughs> yes, Maps right now. Yes. I
0: feel like if all this information
1: was readily available.
0: I. I. But I'm gonna guess right now. I think that Seattle. Seattle is obviously north of Montreal. Yes. I mean Toronto is like equal to San Francisco as far as I can tell, but Montreal I think is. Ah, sl- <laughs> I think they're like the exact same latitude as Portland.
1: Portland is like decimal points north of
0: Montreal. Wow.
1: So there you go.
0: Wow.
1: Really makes you think. Uh,
0: it's just, can we get more hockey teams in the north? That's the thing. <laughs> if Montreal could move to Portland <laughs> to represent more hockey teams in the north, that's the thing is, right? when the, When the team moved to Winnipeg, it was important to represent where hockey originated, and in the northern cities like Portland, Oregon. I think it would be important to move a club like the Montreal Canadiens to Portland, Oregon, so that we could get teams back to the north. That's a great thought. Uh, the
1: Edmonton Oilers are, in fact, the farthest north team in the NHL.
0: God, if I was in Ed- Edmonton, is like if I was in Edmonton, I would be offended about how far south Montreal is.
1: <laughs> uh, Kraken's still third in the Pacific Division oh on 52 God. points, but now fifth in the Western Conference overall have played fewer games than any of the teams ahead of them as well. Kraken will close out this road trip at Boston on Thursday, Chicago on Saturday. Heading north before returning home to host Tampa Bay in an MLK matinee. Then back on the road, Tuesday, a one-off game in Edmonton on the back-to-back, which we've now realized requires them to go very far north. So it's a tough back-to-back. Yeah. All right, Seattle Sounders opened training camp last Saturday with Joao Paolo returning to practice a little more than eight months removed from his ACL tear in the Concacaf Champions League final. <laughs> There's been a lot of news so far from Sounders training camp, but uh, that's probably for the best at, at this stage as they continue pr- preparing for the uh, FIFA Club World Cup next month.
0: I'm really upset about how far south Montreal is. <laughs> Tilted. <them.
1: laughs> Some bigger news for O.L. Reign, whose 2023 roster is starting to take shape. It had been a little concerning, like we hadn't heard much about the Reign's free agents until uh, we got those announcements in this past week that Megan Rupino has re-signed to a one-year deal with Hello. back for another season with the Reign. Lauren Barnes, also an original member of the Reign, re-signed for two years through 2024. Mm. That leaves Tobin Heath as the lone remaining Reign free agent not to re-sign as yet. Then uh, ahead of Thursday's NWSL draft, the Reign traded 150,000 allocation money to the Kansas City Current in exchange for the number 23 pick in the draft. And WSU product Elise Bennett, last year's number seven overall pick, who scored three goals and had two assists as a rookie starting six matches. Bennett also started four games in the current run to the NWSL Challenge Cup semifinals, handing out four assists to top all players in cup play, was part of the current team, I think played as a reserve if I recall correctly, in the NWSL semifinals as Kansas City knocked the rain out of the postseason last year. That number 23 pick they got from Kansas City will be their first in the NWSL draft as they've traded their first round pick.
0: I've crunched the numbers. Okay. First off, Paris-France... Farther north than Montreal. Really? If you were heading from Paris, you would have to travel all the way down south to Montreal, Quebec. Uh, Our family in Genoa, Italy, (laughs) almost exactly the same latitude as Montreal. Which I will say it's the north of Italy, but like Milan is farther north of Montreal. Basically all of Western Europe is farther north of Montreal. Can you believe this shit? (laughs) These fuckers are out here. I swear to God. Just, like, understand who you are, Montreal, Quebec. Well, they don't call
1: themselves the North Stars. That's a, that was a team in the, in the U.S. They called themselves I that. Mean, if shit.
0: They have every right. They are way farther north than most of those French. They were in Minneapolis. Yes. I think that Montreal is actually more north of Minneapolis. Well, you work on that they're, one. They're almost exactly the same. Yeah. I will say Minneapolis is really far south compared to us. Look, what are we doing up here?
1: Not getting a lot of daylight during the winter. <laughs> is the
0: answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what we're doing up here. Literally, I when I Google timeanddate.com, when I when I pull up timeanddate, I'm like fucking <laughs> Prince Harry. Uh, ac- <laughs> according to a quote I've seen from timeanddate.com, on January 12th the sunset will be at 4:23 p.m. But on January 13th it'll be at 4:24 p.m. You know, we I did- gain one minute every day. One minute. So can I? And a quick aside here. <laughs> One of the most notable things to me about
1: the Rose Bowl growing up was always oh. that when the third quarter rolled around and it started to get dark and they showed the sunset over the San Gabriel Mountains, mm-hmm. When it, it, they didn't do that this year because it was cloudy.
0: Now it's been raining in California nonstop. Obviously, there's been they're, they're terrible flooding. They're actually farther south than Montreal.
1: And that's that is true. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> that they're far, you said farther south, though. so it is true. Oh, <laughs> So it was always, they'd show the sunset at the Rose Bowl, and it would be pitch black in Boulevard Park. But then this past (laughs) year...
0: What happened this this past year? This season,
1: this year, when I was watching the Rose Bowl, partially because of the fact that it was cloudy in California, but it was sunny in Seattle on New Year's Day, which was a rarity, and I was out on the coast in West Seattle. uh, And let me tell you, the sun was out later in West Seattle than it was in Pasadena. (laughs)
0: I love that you're talking specific weather to Boulevard Park, Washington. (laughs) You're like, the sun would be down in L.A., but in Boulevard Park, many That that was
1: the whole Seattle part of it, but as it turns out being farther on the west side of the the hills there. It is that big of a difference. It made a noticeable difference, and also it being sunny instead of cloudy, which it typically is. I'm
0: mad at Montreal, and I'm mad at our parents for having us grow up in Boulevard Park. We could have been slightly farther west and just had... Minutes more of daylight exactly. every single day? Well,
1: it's the same amount of daylight. It's just shifted later.
0: Oh, I see.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we, it would have been darker a few minutes later in the morning. You'd have to go to someplace north like Portland
0: to get more daylight. <laughs> north of winter. Montreal like yes, Portland, yes, not north yes. of Seattle. Yes. Boulevard Park. Sorry, not Seattle. Specifically Boulevard Park. I can't Park believe question. I had
1: derailed this podcast by just
0: putting that dumb going north joke. <laughs> I'm just shocked. I really deeply thought that Montreal was like we're way north of Montreal. Tristan was like, I want to do a short podcast and I I did not. I don't know if I exactly said that. I said I was going to be on. I said I <laughs> promised to be on one. You also said you wanted to
1: do. You were going to be on one, and I want to do a short podcast. <sighs> Wrapping up O.L. Reign, they were fined $50,000 as part of the corrective action issued by the NWSL following their joint report with the Players Association we discussed recently on the podcast. While former coach Fried Benstidi is one of several coaches in the Level 3 of sanctions whose future employment within the league will be conditioned on the following factors being established to the satisfaction of Commissioner Jessica Berman, uh, acknowledging wrongdoing, accepting personal responsibility for inappropriate conduct, participating in training, and demonstrating a sincere commitment to correcting behavior, so most likely we will not we better be better
0: not be employed again in the league for
1: Independence in the NWSL anytime soon. All right, quick Storm update. WNBA free agency began its first phase on Wednesday with teams being able to begin issuing qualifying offers and core qualifying offers to eligible free agents. We've not yet seen a report on the Storm issuing qualifying offers to Gabby Williams, who's restricted, and Meg Begore, who's reserved and can negotiate only with the Storm. That's just a formality, though. The Storm have until January know 20th. Cares to about.
0: So. Who cares about this? When you're talking about Storm free agency, nobody gives a shit about these players. We were
1: are talking about one player, The Storm cannot make a core qualifying offer this year because Jewel Lloyd re-signed through this season as their core player last year. (laughs) That means unless the Storm trades Lloyd by January 20th, Brianna Stewart would be fully unrestricted in free agency. Why did they do that? I mean, number one, if Brianna Stewart wants to play someplace besides the Storm, it doesn't matter whether she's a core player or not. What does core player mean? It's basically the NFL franchise tag. Yeah, but can
0: they get two first round draft picks for it?
1: I mean, there's not a specific amount, but that's that's been the historical precedent.
0: But now Brianna Stewart can sign her if she wants. Correct. For nothing. Yes. Why did they do this?
1: Uh, I mean, having Jewel Lloyd is probably more important to retaining Brianna Stewart than, you know, being able to core her.
0: Okay. I see. I see.
1: So players can begin negotiating with teams on January 21st. Contracts can be signed starting February 1st. It's slightly shortened timeline from years past. Why do you
0: need 10 days to negotiate? I don't know. All of the shit is already done. They're not that complicated of deals.
1: Well, it's not currently done,
0: but... Three days at most. Everybody understands what these deals are going to look like. Yes. They're not fucking negotiating the indemnity. I mean, in the NBA, the like the
1: the argument is, well, they have to do it so that they can figure out the very complex. Yeah, but the uh, second that you can negotiate,
0: they start announcing the deals in the NBA. They do. So
1: well, there will be some uh, deals announced before February first. I'm very confident of that. As my bold prediction for WNBA free agency, I did write about this for ESPN.com, and I I predicted Stewie's going to the Liberty. So, hopefully, I'm wrong on that bold prediction. Whoa, whoa, whoa.
0: hold on. Again, people cannot see it That was intentional intentional.
1: It's done Alright, UW Women's Basketball done for the storm I don't know if I'd go that far And also I could be wrong UW Women's Basketball suffered a 66-52 loss Sunday At Washington State Settling for a split
0: Of
1: the Apple Cup Series
0: You're out there predicting Are you going to do a mock-off season with Nate Duncan? Who are you doing a mock-off season with?
1: We already did it I'm pretty sure we talked about it on the podcast in classic Tristan fashion. On this podcast? I think so. Maybe no, we didn't. Absolutely not. The story re-signed with the Storm in the mock off season. My my pitch was persuasive. What was your pitch? About her legacy and you know the reaction that Subert got from playing her entire career in career in One City. <laughs> yeah. So uh these the Storm brought back Alicia Clark as a free agent in that one and uh, signed Mariah Jefferson. So that was our big moves. All right. Who played with Stewie at UConn. All right. The uh, UW women settled for a split of the Apple Cup series with both teams winning on their home courts. Uh, Is this one was the return game for the game played in Seattle back in December. Charlize Laguerre Walker returned from injury to score 26 points on 11 of 17 shooting. Huskies shot just three of 17 from three and had only delay Daniels with 10 reach double figure scoring. Schedule gets tougher this weekend as the Huskies visit the Oregon schools. The Ducks ranked at number 21 in the AP poll, number 18 by the coaches, at 12 and 4 in all, overall, albeit just 3 and 2 in Pac-12 play, with losses at home to UCLA and at Arizona. All four of Oregon's losses are to teams currently ranked in the top 15. Oregon State, 2 and 3 in conference play, 10 and 6 overall, though they are responsible for UCLA's only conference loss thus far. You know, men's basketball swept again in the desert. It was a thriller on Thursday as they lost 70-67 to at number
0: five, Arizona. I was not thrilled at all. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, It It was like the least close game that could... I think the Huskies had a three that they could have hit to tie the game. Yeah. And it actually felt like the game was not close at all. You thought that? Absolutely 100%. There was no chance where I was like, yeah, they're probably going to hit a three to tie it. What? No fucking shirt. Sure, in that moment,
1: yes, I agree that that was a long shot. It was close when they
0: were up in the first half, but when Arizona on a run, it was over.
1: They led by as many as 13 in the first half at 35 22. At that point, UW 4 of 10 on threes, Arizona 2 of 10. Huskies shot 5 of 17 the rest of the way, Arizona 7 of 17. So they both finished on identical 9 of 27. Huskies did hold Arizona to 38.5% on twos, which was their season low by a wide margin, having never previously shot worse than 45%.
0: You know who that's because of?
1: Braxton Mia. My
0: dog. Braxton Mia in the paint. He's he the only a, player who matters on you,
1: Played a career-high 37 minutes in that one.
0: 37 minutes? Yeah. Without foul trouble?
1: Well, we'll get to Sunday in a second here. That way Nobody watched to, that game, actually. That, Sunday, Sunday, I swear, it, it didn't happen. It did not happen. It <laughs> happened opposite the Seahawks game. That that loss that Nero lost at Arizona then looked a lot less impressive after Washington State went into uh, Tucson and beat the I kind of wildcats felt like that Arizona credits. team was not it necessarily was, that good. It
0: was a pretty shaky performance against the Huskies. That's really funny. There were a lot of dudes where I was like, I know that dude's not good. I know that dude's not good. I know that dude's not good. That were kind of like running it up on UW. I mean, Ujulis Tabelas
1: and Omar Balo, who did not play that great on Thursday, no. are legitimately good.
0: Wow, so Wazoo just crushed Arizona? Yep. I, I fuck with that. <laughs> uh, we have to give it up to Wazoo in that no, A lot of respect to Wazoo for that.
1: So Sunday at Arizona State in Tempe, could the Huskies do it on
0: indoors on a Sunday <laughs> yeah, I don't afternoon? think weather was a factor.
1: <laughs> the, they led early before Braxton and Mia picked up two fouls. Arizona State then went on a run, took the lead. Mia came back picked up his third in the first half. He picked up his fourth foul 68 seconds into the second half, and the Sun Devils went on to lead by as many as 20 before the Huskies finished on a 12 nothing run to make it a respectable final of 73-65. Huskies shot just 40% inside the arc, and Ke- but on the positive side, Keon Manifield Jr.'s career-high 8 assists. So that was something. Uh, the Huskies desperately need a win, maybe two. This weekend as they host the Bay Area schools who could use some wins in their own right as it turns out both of their coaches need them too. Stanford has gone a surprising and five to start conference play understandable when they lost at home against UCLA and at Arizona State in the December period still acceptable when they were swept at home by the mountain schools, but then became a ma- major problem when Cal smoked them by 22 at Haas Pavilion last Friday. The Gala was Stanford's first of the year to a team ranked outside the top 85 in Ken Palm, so in the UW zone here. Uh, but in part because of a challenging non-conference schedule, the Cardinals sit just 5-10 and 10 overall. Tough for Jared, Jared Haas, who has to be feeling the pressure after never yet reaching the NCAA tournament in his seventh year on the farm. Colonel really don't statistically do anything well except defensive rebounding or at a really high level. (laughs)
0: Defensive (laughs) rebounding.
1: Which is surprising for an experienced team with an NBA prospect in wing, Harrison Ingram, who's uh, regressed offensively after returning for his sophomore season. Cal started the season 0-12 against a fairly average non-conference schedule. They lost at home to Eastern Washington, Southern, Texas State, and UC Davis. Also lost at UC San Diego, which is one of the bottom 75 teams in the country in Ken Palm. But since getting out the Schneid against UT Arlington just before Christmas, Bears have actually been frisky. They beat Colorado at home, which was UW's only conference win, also. Uh, and then blew out Stanford. Hot three point shooting fueled that surge. Cal is at 42% beyond the arc in conference play after hitting 27% in non conference. They went 7 of 13 and a loss to Utah and 16 of 22 mm. against Stanford. <clears throat> Dewan Clayton had six of those. Sam Elajiki, 5, off the bench. Clayton, a grad transfer, missed the season's first team 13 games and has more than offset the absence recently of leading scorer Devin Askew due to a foot injury, although the career 29% three-point shooter might not be able to keep up that kind of shooting, which is good news for the UW zone. So. Who's Cal's coach? Cal's coach is Mark Fox, the one-time UW assistant.
0: Oh, nice. Uh...
1: Uh, maybe not so nice for Mark Fox at this point. So,
0: we'll see. I mean, the season's lost. It's over. I don't know if I would go so far as to say lost, but th- they—they're in the territory of they have to win the Pac-12 tournament already, and it's fucking January. It's lost. It's over. But there's a difference between like mm-hmm. the Lorenzo Romar's last season lost
1: and like seven and thirteen in conference play lost. There's a big difference between those what was two the
0: will the. Lorenzo's Romar, Lorenzo Romar's last season lost was with Markel Fultz, right? Correct. Number one pick in the draft. With Michael Porter Jr. on the way. Yeah. John Tay Porter on the way. Yeah. Anybody else from that class? Oh, Jalen Noel. Jalen Noel, who still came. And uh, Dejon Davis. Tell me which NBA players are coming. I, but they fired... They fired Lorenzo Romar
1: anyway because they went two and sixteen in conference play. One
0: shitty decision does not beget another shitty decision. I, I don't even know what that means. What, like just because they fired Lorenzo Romar doesn't mean Lorenzo Romar got screwed in that year, right? It was a but the bad point season. is
1: coaches get fired when you go two and eighteen in conference sixteen well, in conference play. The only play. thing
0: we can hope is that this coach will go two and sixteen in conference play because the program is going nowhere. I agree that there is not a lot of excitement about the UW program. It doesn't. They're irrelevant. And they played a game Sunday against the Seahawks. Like, the most exciting thing that happened was they played a relatively close game against Arizona that I turned off of to watch Gonzaga hypothetically lose to San Francisco.
1: <laughs>
0: I care. I, if, you would, if you would have told me in that moment, UW can beat Arizona or San Francisco can beat Gonzaga, I would have thought about it. Wow, I would have thought about which one I wanted. So, not
1: Gonzaga has become your favorite
0: college basketball. It was a devastating loss for San Francisco, and UW just lost a game, but it was a devastating loss for San Francisco, and I felt for Bill Cartwright, (laughs) Sonics legend. I just, it was like this. This team is. I like a lot of the individual players on this UW team. And collectively, they're just not really a basketball team. There's no off. I love Braxton Mia, right? Keon Menefield. So many players on this team. But collectively, they do not look like what is a competitive college basketball team. And there's no road to that. There's nobody coming. There's no answer. There's no development of talent, right? That's the thing that we talked about. It's not like as players get older. Lorenzo Rome are fucking coach players, right? As players got older at UW, they got better. And that does not happen at UW.
1: To me, I think the most frustrating aspect of it is that, like, coaches, usually when you fire a coach, you hire their opposite. And I think the Huskies kind of thought they were doing that with Mike Hopkins. and Opposite coast, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Like, defensively, there is a pretty opposite style in terms of the zone. And the, the zone has mostly been solid. But offensively, it's the same shit. Yeah, it's exactly the same shit.
0: It just sucks that
1: One thing I looked up is like when was the last time the Huskies actually were a decent three point shooting team? C.J. Wilcox. Yeah, it was the C.J. Wilcox, Terrence Ross year. They <sighs> shot, they shot well from three.
0: Lorenzo Romar recruited two players who are in the NBA right now, right? And C.J. Wilcox, well, not in the NBA right now, but who played in the NBA in Terrence Ross and C.J. Wilcox, right? Like those were they were constantly NBA caliber players coming through UW. And it's not really something that's happening anymore. I mean, two I saw two UW
1: players play last for the Orlando <laughs> Magic just last night. From the Romara. From the Romar era. Oh, Rom faults.
0: I was gonna say Van Bancaro didn't fucking come here. He sure right? did not It's like this dude from Syracuse is gonna come in and recruit me. He doesn't know shit about where I'm from. Right?
1: Lorenzo Romar. I mean, I don't know if I would say that. I think it's mostly just that the program was too irrelevant
0: for Paolo Bancaro
1: to play his wares here.
0: Loro at UW has a much better chance of locking in Paolo. I agree with that assessment. It's just, not every coach is going to be great everywhere. College basketball coaching is mostly about situation or whatever. But like Lorenzo Romar at the University of Washington, he was going to turn it around. We know that that was going to happen. I'm a little
1: less sanguine there. But I was more excited about the future or at that point. Could he have
0: even matched what Mike Hopkins has done? <laughs> it wasn't a real—it's not a real high bar. There were, there were a couple—actually, I will say Mike Hopkins exceeded expectations It's still times.
1: remarkable that Mike Hopkins won Pac-12 coach of the year twice.
0: It's just they they are they are aimless and we don't have a lot to look forward to. All we have is looking up literally what time the sun sets in this city of Seattle, Washington, right on timeanddate.com, and it is not that late. There's two fucking months until daylight savings comes back. So all we've got is University of Washington basketball. Well,
1: for, for now, we still have the Seahawks. We'll
0: see how long we have them, but in an extended period of time, correct. And that's the thing is the team is irrelevant. By January 11th, 2023. And that fucking sucks because we had so many years where it's like, at least we've got UW basketball. They stole the NBA from us, right? And that's it. There's an empty chasm. I guess I got to get behind Maddie Beneers or whatever.
1: Like, it's one thing for Cal and Stanford to be where they are in the Pac-12 given the expenditure on athletics and the fan interest in men's basketball at those two schools. For UW to be there given their position athletically and, as you mentioned, the lack of competition from an NBA team in the market, it's, it's, they, they, like, better should be expected. So, that's where we are.
0: Anyway, go dogs!
1: All right, let's talk about UW football players indicating they plan to transfer, starting with quarterback Sam Huard, who uh, announced this earlier this week with three years of remaining eligibility. With Dylan Morris apparently set to stay at UW for now, uh, the, his coaching future would have had to battle for the backup job next season with no guarantee of the starting job in 2024 after Michael Penix Jr.'s eligibility is exhausted. So not a terribly
0: surprising move from Sam Huard. I told you straight up, one of those two quarterbacks is transferring. And the second it wasn't Dylan Morris, it was Sam Huard. Yeah. Dylan Morris, Dylan Morris was able to make that decision, and Sam Heward wasn't. Because the pecking order is Penix, Morris, Heward. And it hurts. Sam Heward is going to go off and be a good quarterback somewhere else. I hope so. And that place is going to be Fresno State. <laughs> it
1: would be really funny if he went there. Oh, the, uh, there but was, you know, Fresno
0: State already has a local quarterback on the oh, did roster. I, this Is similar so local to Seattle or to Fresno?
1: Well, he went to, to Seattle. He was from Graham Capowson. <laughs> I learned this. Foster Sarah plays quarterback too. Yeah, I learned this because I was looking through EYBL players, and he played for Seattle Rotary. And like usually, when guys don't play college basketball, it's because they're playing college football. And he's he was Kaner's the third. He was the three
0: quarterback last year. That's really funny. I I really feel like Sam Huard is ending up at Fresno State. I, I mean, I don't know that they would put that high odds on that one particular
1: institution. I will, I will put that high odds. I as, mean, as I also think correctly predicted a lot of things. Okay. Like,
0: <laughs> I would put that high odds, and by lately I mean literally one year ago. <laughs> <laughs> this is predicted this is one where thing up one the year, year ago. Prediction. No, let's talk about that later. Okay. Well, we, <laughs> we're
1: already almost an hour into this podcast. Uh, hey. I would not be surprised if Sam Huard ends up transferring within the Pac-12.
0: There are a lot of good quarterbacks in the Pac-12 right now.
1: I mean, I'm going to be fascinated to see it because obviously he came in with that pedigree as a recruit.
0: And he was put in an impossible situation starting that Apple Cup last year. Oh, nobody's holding that against him. That's not the reason he didn't win the job. Or no, whatever. that has nothing to do There's with that. But if you're, The if backup you're, quarterback has nothing to do with that Apple Cup game.
1: If you're another coach evaluating Sam Huard, I, I might hold that against him. If that's the one chance if, I've had to see him a play. If you're a
0: school who's looking for a quarterback, I think people are excited about Sam Huard.
1: Well, at what level? Because you just said that people in the Pac-12 would not be excited about Name Sam Name the school. Tell me the school. I, I mean, I don't think it...
0: It doesn't have to be a specific school because... He, well, it actually does because you have to transfer to a... You don't get to transfer. This isn't the fucking PeltonCast sports I'm saying that I don't year. think that, You don't get to pick the entire league. I don't pack. He can't just transfer to the Pac-12. He yeah. has to transfer to a school. So, yes, you do need to pick the school. What I'm saying is I don't think Sam
1: Heward <laughs> needs to go to a school that has an open starting job next season.
0: Absolutely, he does.
1: I don't think so. He has to go
0: somewhere where he's competing. He's not going to go to fucking Utah. I think he might. Oh, that's so dumb. Like, Sam Huard is going to apply. If he's going to compete for a job next year, Sam Hewitt is going somewhere to compete for a job this year. He's not going somewhere to compete for a job in 2024. Sam Huard thinks he is a good enough quarterback. Probably is a good enough quarterback to compete for a job in this 2023 season. And that's why he's transferring. Okay, we'll see. Don't be smug about that. You know I'm right.
1: I mean that's a reasonable position. I I, I just, don't know what Sam it Heard is a wants.
0: it is a bummer that Sam Huard never became the starting quarterback at UW. I that,
1: I think the biggest bummer is that the expectations placed on him were as fit and fair as they were, and I hope that people learn from this in the future. Although no one I ever learns anything with quarterbacks,
0: I don't think that's it though. The like he was a five star recruit, like the expectations. Okay, were but a lot.
1: I've said at the time. Lots of quarterbacks are five star recruits. I think
0: think the stat is something like from his class of five star recruit quarterbacks, half of them have transferred. This is the thing that we've talked about. But is this, I I don't think this is the same as it is
1: Quinn Ewers transferring from Ohio State to Texas. What because Ohio State has a fleet of quarter, five-star
0: quarterbacks. UW doesn't have a fleet of five-star UW quarterbacks. Has they have Penix, Michael Penix Jr. But he's going to be gone after next season. But also, Sam Heward is very aware that Dylan Morris is next in line if Michael Penix Jr. gets hurt this next year, God God forbid. Right? That's our quarterback. We used to be about the, that way about Russell Wilson. Oh, now yeah. it's Michael Penix Jr. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, but also, the thing that Sam Heward knows is that Keelan DeBoer has one eye looking. He has one eye on Michael Penix Jr. and one eye in the entire country. That's
1: the thing is, like, people are looking at this like, who does Utah bring in now? And it's like,
0: well, they probably bring in someone next year. Yeah, and they might bring in somebody now if the right quarterback is there. But like, who is the quarterback who wants to compete for the backup job?
1: I mean, what it is is a situation like the quarter transfer they had from from Sac State in 2020, whose name now escapes me. It's like somebody who wants a chance to just play at this level. And if even if that means being the third QB, then that's fine.
0: I, I just I, they need to find a third quarterback or whatever. Yes, this I can't remember what the fucking name is. But like find somebody who wants to wants to be their practice for this season. The next UW starting quarterback, someone
1: who like Dylan Morris is thinking, oh, "What does this mean for me in my next career?"
0: But also, the next UW starting quarterback after Michael Penix Jr. God forbid he will never get hurt ever, 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 is Dylan Morris or somebody else? Yes. And Dylan Morris might win that job next year. Dylan Morris will have eligibility after the season, and you know what? Dylan Morris was a hell of a lot better than Sam Heward was, and the reality is. Kalen DeBoer saw Sam Heward and Dylan Morris play football and said that Dylan Morris was next in line. So, that's kind of it. If you're Sam Heward, you're like, okay, I know I'm not starting this year with Michael Penix. I know that I'm not first in line to start next year. How but far that, out is Sam Hewitt? You just Heward made thinking?
1: my point for me that no. it would be sensible for him to go to some place. In the Pac-12 that has a starter for 2023, because we know can think of three college, three schools at the top of our head. I mean, USC is recruiting at, a, at a, its own level.
0: Like, get the fuck out of here! Oregon USC recruiting at its own level for one fucking year. Get out! That school is this. Clo- they are something ugly is going to happen at USC. There,
1: there's is... oh, we we do not agree on this assessment. Something okay. ugly might happen to UCLA. It's Kevin Thompson, by the way, was the transfer who spent the 2020 oh, yeah. season in Seattle.
0: Anyway, I, maybe he will, I suppose, but I just confidently feel that Sam Huard is going to transfer somewhere. Where you can see with these quarterbacks, Zach Wilson was the number two pick in the draft from BYU, right? Like, you don't need to be... I agree with that. Opportunity I don't, is, the biggest, is the biggest barrier for college football quarterbacks. That's why...
1: No, success is the biggest barrier for college football quarterbacks. Lots of – an equal number of quarterbacks every year get the opportunity. Only some of them are successful.
0: Well, sure. But also, going to fucking Utah, like, Sam Heward will either be successful or unsuccessful wherever he goes. And I think having that opportunity – I mean, it could be situational. I I don't think I would dismiss that element. If Sam Heward is wanting to develop as a quarterback, he stays at UW, though. And fights for the job next year.
1: But I think there could be situations where – I'm confident I'm going to be the backup in this place next season. And therefore, we'll have the inside track on the starting job in 2023, in 2024, in a way that because of Dylan Morris, he didn't at you UW.
0: I, I don't think that Sam Heward's like, yeah, I'm going to lose the job to Dylan Morris. <laughs> he wants to fight for the, the second that Michael Penix came back. Was, it was put a, clock, it put a clock on the transfer. When I saw the news about Sam Heward, I was like, it sucks, but yes, period.
1: Or right, the other two players. <laughs> Very to, concerned with JV on Sunday. Returned <laughs> to transfer running back JV on Sunday, <laughs> who was part of Jimmy Lick's first recruiting class, but saw just nine carries in three years, out of position where UW has already added two transfers this off season. And then Tactile... <laughs> (laughs) tackle Victor Kern who started at right tackle in 2020 and 2021 but then lost his job to Roger Rosengarten last season with left tackle Troy Fautano returning for 2023. No clear path to a starting spot at either tackle in his final season of eligibility uh, is the three graduating starters that UW loses on the offensive line or all interior offensive linemen. This one hurt the most? You know how I feel about it? I do know how you feel about uh, line depth but Huskies adding a number of offensive line recruits and do have guys who are experienced backups have been in the system. So
0: Yeah. It's still again, have having an experienced player who's one play away. To me, it is more important than a quarterback. I give a fuck about a quarterback. There's a I would not go that far. There are a billion quarterbacks out there. There's not a scenario where Kaelin DeBoer is a successful coach and doesn't have one of the 10 best quarterbacks. But one of you the just said one play away.
1: In midseason, there's a scenario like that.
0: We've got Dylan Morris.
1: I feel good about Dylan
0: Morris, but again... I'm talking about the- know, next year. I'm not talking about this year. For Dub. Yeah. On offensive line, I'm talking about the next season. But for quarterback, there's already two. Sure. Offensive line, Victor Kern's number two. He's the Dylan Morris. So you're saying relative to Sam Heward? Yes. Okay, I guess Vic- that makes. Victor Curran is the transfer that makes me the most upset of these three transfers.
1: None of them make me upset because players should do whatever is best for them. It's a reminder.
0: <laughs> make me upset from the perspective of I wanting. I, like I don't, I don't care. I like I. I wish that things had worked out for Sam Heward, but I also fucking love Michael Penix Jr. So. I don't wish things had worked out with Sam Heward at UW more than I want Sam or Michael Penix Jr. to have come back. Yes. All
1: right, let's wrap things up with the Seahawks. But you want to talk other NFL stuff?
0: No. Sure. Well, I, I just I think it it bears mentioning. Very
1: eager to
0: <laughs> to revisit my um,
1: your bold prediction about the 2022 Arizona Cardinals.
0: I it was it was actually very interesting that a year ago. I predicted that Cliff Kingsbury would not be the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals in a year. He went and got himself an extension <laughs> in that time period and still got fired. Which
1: it is, it is pretty incredible.
0: It was it was an incredible moment for Cliff Kingsbury. You were saying that we don't want to celebrate anybody being fired. And I was saying, all I'm celebrating is money being fired. Uh, 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 the distribution of wealth from the hyper rich to the very rich. So, all things considered, Cliff Kingsbury is making off great in this situation. But the only issue that happened here was the Arizona Cardinals are probably about to have a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury.
1: Yes. I think the the organization's problems run deeper than head coach. <laughs> Suffice it to say, very deep. They're they're about to have a new GM as well with Steve Keim stepping away, and uh, their starting quarterback, you'll recall, tore his ACL.
0: It's kind of wild how quickly things can change in the NFL, though. I always think about that. It right, is incredibly wild. Like every team is one quarterback and a couple of players away, and you look at like and some rule changes. The, but the I mean, look the fucking Jaguars, right? Yeah. When you're looking at next season, the Jags, UW style. Will be probably have one of the 10 best odds for winning the Super Bowl next year, and they had the worst record in the league last year. But the Eagles, going from they were kind of just they they were in they at the
1: end average. of the era, they were like seemingly at a crossroads. Like they fired their coach and hired Nick Sirianni. they you know, they fired Doug Peterson, who is now the Jaguars head coach. Yeah,
0: it, so. it is. But the Bears is another team where I always tell the children, I hearken back to the days of, was it 2018?
1: The, the season where they were the number two seed or They were 12 and four. Yeah.
0: Uh, They weren't the number, they were, yeah, the number two seed. And I was like, there was a, it was talking about a windstorm. There was a huge windstorm the night that the Seahawks lost to the Cowboys. Russell Wilson, I I always tell the kids, was the quarterback of the Seahawks. They have a hard time believing. Anyway, I tell the kids, Russell Wilson lost a game against the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott, still their quarterback, in fact, was was the quarterback of the Cowboys. And the Seahawks, (laughs) for the seahawks didn't pass the ball enough in that game right they fired almost everybody after it right changed their offense and there was a huge windstorm that night and the next day we had we had so little power that it wasn't even I, my but power they didn't fire everybody after that game did they was it the next year
1: i mean shoddy didn't get fired until after the oh yeah,
0: they fired let
1: russ cook season right
0: i think they fired ken norton maybe Nah, maybe not. Okay, Ken Norton didn't get fired into this last year, right? Yeah. I have a question about that, also. But anyway, don't question me. I'm telling a story. Anyway, what, what <laughs> I tell the kids was:
1: a, you need a, a, a Uncle here to serve as fact checker for to this. Dad's stories.
0: The power was so out that I didn't even have cell service. Right? I had the power. The power is the most out that has ever we been. Need, when are we getting to the point of this in story? my entire life? And. We, I went to the mall to try to just, like, charge up the battery on my cell phone. And as I was there, I peered in to the BJs at the mall, right? And inside of there, there was, it was called the double joint game. <laughs> the Chicago Bears were 12-4 and four and the number two seed in the NFC. That wasn't that long ago. So what I'm telling you is shit can change very, very quickly in the NFL. Suffice it to say, a person named Brock, U- Brock Purdy, not Brock York, a person named Brock Purdy is 6 0 and starts for the San Francisco 49ers, shit can change very, very quickly. So anytime that you're projecting forward in the NFL, stop. Do not do it. You're wrong. Except Whoa. for me, when I put on my <laughs> Nostradamus hat and remember and, and predict that Cliff Kingsbury is going to be fired in a year. Because bad is always bad. Anyway, I have a question for you.
1: I would say thanks to Jimmer for reminding us on that one, since he put it on his calendar. But uh, do not, th- I no, do not thank him. I'm the opposite. For you.
0: Sean is I. Yes, Seahawks special assistant, secondary, right?
1: Uh, assistant head coach, secondary. Yeah. There,
0: there's a rule that if you have uh, a coach who's your defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, who's a POC, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, right? If they get hired by another team. To be the head coach, you then get a draft pick for it. Is that or, the Or GM, correct. Or GM. That's the only situation. I don't think it's
1: if you have someone prone to coordinator now. Okay.
0: That I, it was a legitimate question that I had. Sean Desai, the Seahawks bring him in. Seahawks secondary is fucking great this year. Exceeds expectations in pretty much every capacity. Considering that Jamal Adams gets injured halfway through the first game of the season. Treat the, all these rookie players, right? Yes. Sean Desai will end up with a defensive coordinator job.
1: If he wants one, I think one will be available to him. Yes, I agree do you think there's, a,
0: but So the CX will not get any draft pick compensation for that?
1: No, again, it's only head coach or
0: GM <sighs> positions. Okay. I'm genuinely, genuinely curious about that. Yeah.
1: All right, should we get into the C, the Brock Pretty-led San Francisco 49ers? Do you know when the— if you, if you don't look at the notes, do you know when the 49ers' last loss was? God,
0: I see it in the notes.
1: October? October 23rd, before Halloween, the last time the 49ers last lost, last lost that was uh, at Kansas City, dropping them to three and four in a game behind the Seattle Seahawks, who beat the Chargers in L.A.
0: that day. I want to I want to Groundhog Day, October 23rd. I want to move
1: back to go (laughs) back to that particular day since then the 49ers 10 and 0 with only one real close call their overtime win at Las Vegas in week 17. Predictably, the 49ers are number 1 in the NFL in weighted DVOA, number 2 overall. I thought in classic style let's preview this break the break down the uh, okay. the two units. Okay. So or the three units. Let's start with number 6 <laughs> 49ers offense in DVOA against the number 21 Seahawks defense. So pr- rock pretty Number nine, as we talked about on the emergency pod, in the EPA plus CPOE composite, four spots behind Jimmy Garoppolo, who is number five. Uh, Gino Smith finished right in between them at number two, seven. The difference was largely EPA per play, as both of them were slightly below average in completion percentage, over-expected. One thing I was curious about is Ben, ben Baldwin has famously pointed out over the years. As much hype as Kyle Shanahan always gets for his run game. Historically, until the second half of this season, we'll get to that, the 49ers have actually not been all that good at running the ball and have largely been bailed out by Jimmy G on third and fourth downs. So is Brock Purdy not as good there? Well, the answer is they're pretty similar in in terms of their overall performance. Jimmy G, fourth this year in EPA per play on third and fourth downs. Brock Purdy was seventh. Geno Smith, 19th in those passing heavy situations. It's a small sample, but Purdy went 36 of 50. That is absurd. What? 36 of 50 yeah. on third downs? On third downs. The best completion percentage of anyone with at least 50 attempts. And forty four percent of those plays resulted in first downs, which was second behind Patrick Mahomes. That's wild. <laughs> I mean I kept looking through Brock Purdy's stats and I'm like, where's the place where we're gonna expose that he's secretly a fraud?
0: Yeah. I'm still looking
1: I mean, you might assume, okay, well, this team has all these guys, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, who are so good with the ball in their hands after the catch. Are they more reliant on yards after the catch with Brock Pretty? No. His average completion went for more air yards, according to sport radar tracking, an an average of one more yard per completion, and he actually averaged 0.8 yards fewer uh, after completion per catch than Jimmy Garoppolo. So Jimmy G was the one that was more (laughs) dependent on yards after the catch. Now that is still fifth highest among players with at least 100 attempts, because that's how the San Francisco offense works. Although amusing to note that one of the four players ahead of Purdy, it's two, two Carolina quarterbacks, Jimmy G, and then Patrick Mahomes,
0: who does not two Carolina do. quarterbacks.
1: Uh, I believe P.J. Walker just wow. snuck over the bar, in addition to Sam Darnold. So. Th- uh, that Those are the similar offenses, Carolina, Kansas City, and San Francisco. So this is bad news for the Seahawks, who uh, my ESPN colleague Brady Henderson pointed out. According to ESPN Stats and Info, ranked 31st in yards after the catch allowed on defense. Purdy started in Week 15 against the Seahawks, going 17 of 26 for 217 yards, two touchdowns. Played that game without Debo Samuel, who missed three weeks with knee and ankle injuries before returning in the final week of the regular season. Even before that, not the same dominant season for Debo as we saw in 2021 when he led the NFL with 18.2 yards per reception. That dropped to a career low, 11.3 this year, and his catch rate was also a career low. So a bad combination, all things considered. Debo's still dangerous as a rushing threat, averaged more than three carries per game, 5.5 yards per carry. With Samuel stepping back, Brandon Ayuk was San Francisco's 1,000-yard receiver, averaging an excellent 8.9 yards per target. Uh, had just 19 yards on two catches and four targets in Week 15, but a bigger game, 63 yards on eight targets, five catches back in Week 2. Uh, George Kittle had fewer targets than Ayuk, but also averaged 8.9 yards per target and had a career-high 11 touchdowns, seven of those Coming in the last four weeks, including two against the Seahawks in Week 15. Missed the first game against the Seahawks in Week 2. Has played all 15 games since then. Uh, was, had four catches overall for 93 yards and five targets in that game. Oddly, despite the touchdowns, Purdy did not target Kittle any more than Jimmy Garoppolo did. Just found him a ton in the red zone. The Niners added Christian McCaffrey in Week 7 via trade. Before that, they were 25th in rush EPA per play, 16th in success rate. Even though running backs matter, don't matter, and Carolina did just fine on the ground without McCaffrey, they were 3rd in EPA and 8th in success rate with McCaffrey, which again, as mentioned, is basically the first time in the Carolina offense the 49ers have actually been that good at running on a per
0: play basis. When they haven't lost since they traded for him. Yes, that is also correct.
1: McCaffrey did benefit from facing a slightly easier-than-average set of opposing rush defenses per football outsiders, so his DVOA is only slightly better than average, Uh, and really was an accumulator against the Seahawks. He ran for 108 yards, but on 26 carries. The big EPA damage in that game was done by rookie Jordan Mason, who ripped off a 55-yarder with the Seahawks trying to get the ball back late in the game. Mason may not see a carry in this one, with Week 1 starter Elijah Mitchell returning from a knee sprain last week. Mitchell played just five games due to a pair of knee sprains, but was massively effective in that tiny sample. His 35% DVOA was best of any player with more than twenty-five carries. Niners offensive line rated pretty average in terms of ESPN's metric, both metrics, both pass and run block win break but uh, rated much better by Pro Football Focus and SIS tracking, as Ben Baldwin is uh, posting. They lost their starting left guard Aaron Banks to an MCL spring in Week 17, and Daniel Brunskill replaced him in the lineup. Uh, Jimmy G took sacks on 5.5% of his dropbacks. Purdy was a touch higher at 6%, but uh, still a little better than average. And this is, I think, the key matchup of the game. The Seahawks went 6-0 and this season when they had at least four sacks. Both the Arizona wins, both the L.A. wins, and the wins over the two New York teams. They were 1-6 in six in games where they had 0 or 1 sacks. Uh, the lone win coming versus Detroit, which was obviously a very offensive game, that was both San Francisco games during the regular season. Kansas City, Las Vegas, New Orleans, and Tampa Bay. Now, to some extent, you expect that, obviously, when you're ahead, teams are in more obvious passing situations. You rack up sacks that way late in games. But only four teams in the league were more consistent than the Seahawks in terms of their sack rate from game to game. So whether the Seahawks can get to Brock Purdy is, I think, the defining factor of this game.
0: Is, is there a little bit of evidence that they've had more sacks later in the season? I mean, it's interesting that it well, was you, like 1-0 I mean, have... or zero in, in seven games, four more in six games. So there weren't that many games, or they were right in between. Correct.
1: I mean, there was the stretch midseason where the defense played well and they racked up a bunch of these sacks. And then there was the stretch late the last two weeks. Yes, they again racked up a bunch of those sacks, but in between they didn't play well. So I think you'd have to be really optimistic to look at that as like an upward trend.
0: I mean, Pete Carroll will tell you that Gerald Taylor has played differently since being more more inserted in the lineup in the late, late season.
1: One focusing more on his speed rush instead of trying to mix it up is the uh, the story that's been told. But you look before that, I mean, they had one sack. I, I guess Kansas City, you know, obviously that's a, a difficult pass rush situation, but the previous two games they had were among those one
0: sack games. Okay, what about on the offensive side of the ball?
1: So you've got the Seahawks rating 14th on offense in DVOA, which is pretty the lowest they've been basically since— Week two, I think, since, you know, the, the coming out of that first matchup against the 49ers, against uh, the number one defense in the NFL in DVOA from the 49ers. Top five in both pass and the rush, number two against the rush, number five against the pass. They had three pro bowlers on defense, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, and safety, Telenoa Hufanga. Uh, the 49ers have allowed 100 rush yards to an opponent just once in that 10-game winning streak, that also coming in that overtime game against the Raiders. Only Buffalo f- faced fewer rush attempts this season, and the 3.4 yards they allowed per rush were the lowest in the NFL. Naturally, the Seahawks did not run the wall well against them. Ken Walker III had 12 carries for 47 yards in Week 15 after the Seahawks rushed for a season-low of 36 yards in Week 2. So that's the other element here is, can the Seahawks avoid being one-dimensional on offense uh, because of the fact that they have to give up on the run based on how well San Francisco is playing it and possibly falling behind. Uh, Niners were 6th in run-stop win rates, so not quite as good as that, but there's their second level, their linebackers, their tackling really stood out in that Seahawks game. You've got Warner at the second level. Uh, they do have one question at linebacker in, in terms of injury, which Ray Greenlaw having missed Week 18 due to a back injury. Bosa led the NFL with 18 and a half sacks and was the NFC defensive player of the month for November. He was number nine among edges in pass rush win rates. So not quite as good as that sack total overall, the remarkable thing. Yeah. I mean, still, still very good. His 18 and a half sacks, uh, a remarkable stat. The Seahawks had more sacks as a team than the 49ers did because the next highest on them, on them in sacks was Samson. Ebukam at five. They were very, very Bosa dependent, uh, had five sacks in the two games against the Seahawks, about average for both teams, Seahawks offense and 49ers defense. But uh, it was two of Geno's bottom six games by yards per attempt came against the center's defense. He was actually worse in week 15 when he needed 44 passes to pick up 238 yards than when the offense was held scoreless in week two when Gino had 197 yards on 30 passes. Uh, Tyler Lockett was quite effective in that one, and and overall against the Niners, had 175 yards on 20 targets, including 107 in Week 2. DK Metcalf, 80 yards on 15 targets in the two games, so not nearly as efficient. Any thoughts on this matchup?
0: Well, let's go through special teams first.
1: Okay. Special teams, the uh, the Seahawks are number four. This is their advantage. The Niners, number 15. Biggest weakness was their place kicking. Robbie Gold went 18 of 19 inside 40 yards, but just 9 of 13 from beyond that distance.
0: It's not a great matchup. <laughs> I, but also, the Niners are just really good, right? Like, I, I, think, I, don't, I don't think
1: they have the best chance of winning the Super Bowl. I don't think that... I would necessarily pick them on a neutral field over Kansas City and Buffalo. Who is number one in D VA? Of they're number
0: one in weighted. Who's number one in overall DVA? I think Philly might still be ahead. Really? Uh or is it Buffalo? It might be Buffalo. Yeah, it's Buffalo. We're, one. we're talking at at one of the best teams in the league. Yeah. What were you saying about hmm? what were you saying about other teams? Oh, I I might pick, you know, just
1: because of the quarterback element, I might take Buffalo or, or Kansas City to beat them on a neutral field. Like if they play in the Super Bowl, I might take those teams. Philly has the inside path to the NFC Championship with the bye and home field. But San Francisco is the most complete team in the NFL, excluding nobody. Ah. You think Philly? I think Kansas City, probably i are not be the most complete. They're not that good defensively. Buffalo,
0: I don't know. You're still talking about Brock Purdy. I really, that's the thing that I have a hard time getting past, is you're talking about Brock Purdy in the playoffs. I understand everything that has happened with Brock Purdy, but there was a moment, there was a moment, statistically he's been good. He hasn't been amazing, but he's been good. There was a moment in that game that the Seahawks played against the Niners on Thursday night in Seattle that Brock Purdy looked bad. And I do think with what you're talking about in that Seahawks pass rush, the Seahawks defense has been... They played fairly well the last couple of weeks, aside from a couple of mistakes. I think that there is a a world that the Seahawks defense can ugly up this game. And they're not playing against Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, even Jalen Hurts, for that matter. It's still Brock Purdy playing in his first ever game. He's... Like, we're getting into unprecedented territory for Brock, Brock Purdy, which is impressive, and the talent around him is impressive. But until he has won these games, he still has something to prove, right? We can't go into it. Patrick Mahomes has won the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow's been to the Super Bowl. Josh Allen has won playoff games, right? But Joe, Joe Burrow hadn't won playoff games last year. Before okay, well, so he he Joe the Burrow, Burrow was the first fucking pick in the draft. He'd won the national championship. Right, He'd comfortably won the national championship. And until Brock Purdy proves that, that is why you cannot call the Niners the most complete team in the NFL. Because you can't look around and say that Patrick Mahomes, who's just about to win the MVP, is the quarterback of the Chiefs. And then Brock Purdy is the quarterback of the 49ers and say that they're the most complete. Literally the most important position, probably the only position that actually matters... They
1: are. But that's uh, you're you're missing what most complete means.
0: No, I'm not. I understand that they're very good at a lot of positions. But Mm -hmm. if you don't have, if if you have a player who's never played a playoff game, who's played six games in his entire career, like this this, was also
1: the talk before he played in Seattle, where he's never
0: started a road game. He's only started one game at that point. It's always going to be the talk until it's not going to be the talk. And let me tell you, exactly, Geno Smith played six games at the beginning of the season and then he played a seventh game like the the reality is quarterbacks can be hot for a period of time if you're telling me right now that you think that this is Brock Purdy who he is long term I will tell you I am very skeptical if you're telling me that for some reason everybody missed on Brock Purdy and he ended up as the the last pick in the draft and this is just who he is like again we're getting into very unprecedented territory
1: But I don't think he needs to be Patrick Mahomes for the San Francisco 49ers to win the Super Bowl. Because they are as good as they are defensively.
0: Mahomes needs to be that in part because of the fact that the Chiefs are mediocre defensively. Offense is more consistent than defense, And there's going to be a week that... Look, the the Niners defense will probably be good, but there's going to be a week at some point in the next six weeks maybe even less, that we look at this and how we say to ourselves. How long for the playoffs, though? Five weeks, I guess, with the bye, right? I think it's five, yes. That we look at this and we say to ourselves, why did we think that the 49ers were the prohibitive favorite or whatever, that they were the best team in the NFL and Brock fucking Purdy was their quarterback? Again, they're not the prohibitive favorite
1: because the prohibitive favorite is the team that has the number well, one seed. They, are, they are,
0: How about this? They are number one in weighted DVOA. That is the only thing... Look, we know that that Niners defense is going to be good. Can the Seahawks do enough? Can the Seahawks gain a few first downs? Can they hit field goals? Can they score a touchdown? Can they hit a big play? Can Geno Smith not make a mistake? All of these things are realistic possibilities. It'll take their best performance or whatever. Running the ball against the Niners is not the same as Pete Carroll having the come-to-Jesus moment with Ken Walker at halftime against the fucking Chiefs, right? Right? It is a different team out there. Yeah, that moment didn't happen against the Niners. I'm sure that Pete Carroll, if he felt like it could have happened against the Chiefs or against the Niners the week beforehand, he would have had that conversation also, right? Maybe he did. He just didn't tell exactly. people about it. Exactly. Afterwards. You when only tell didn't people go after after. That. after. He might have been like, "Hey, run through the holes," and then Ken Walker tried and didn't. Like, there are holes when it's against San Francisco. I do think th- this game is going to come down to a lot of Charles Cross versus Nick Bosa. I think it's going to come down to, can they make those plays? I'm a, I'm a little bit less scared of the Niners' offense. I think this is going to be an ugly game. Well, I, I I, think there's the the a reason that I
1: think it's going to be an ugly game. Because of the weather?
0: Yeah. I, but that might favor the Niners a little bit. I think the Seahawks can ugly this one up. And I think they can straight up, Pete Carroll style, keep it close. Has Pete Carroll ever lost a playoff game by more than one score? I think there was a Green Bay game in there that they lost by more than one score. Also, I don't know
1: his whole record with the New England Patriots. A
0: Green Bay game? Yeah. Name After Ev- they
1: beat Philly in two thousand whatever year that was on the road.
0: Oh, that game was close.
1: Maybe it got close at the end, but that game was not close. It
0: was a one-possession game.
1: I I, tell, I like Pete Carroll's had a great season. I lamented to you that like Pete Carroll keeping games close is his like best skill be able to say that, like that San Francisco game, that they really never had a had a chance to win. But it was a one-score game, because they were down eight points at the end of it, even though they didn't get the ball back. First of all, how dare you? You know how I dare. Uh, the forecast for Saturday in Santa Clara is part of, unfortunately, this uh, consistent... Severe rain that continues hitting California, the uh, California that is ill-suited for it. After the years of drought and wildfire that have affected 28, it.
0: Twenty-eight, twenty-three Green Bay Packers. Wow, the the Seahawks had the ball with a chance to score. How much were they I, down? I remember being furious at the end of this game. Remember, Shakim came in and had the fucking sack. He had the sack, mm-hmm. and we got the ball back. It was, it was the sack. Uh, it was Shakim Griffin had I'm, a sack. I'm, I'm
1: 0.83 inches of rain forecast for Saturday, so, and basically, all throughout the game time, we haven't seen a ton of Geno in the rain. Remarkably, for a quarterback in Seattle, Washington, the Seahawks
0: got the ball back down 28-23 20, with 2:41 left on the clock. Maybe it was the other Green Bay game. The Seahawks, okay, the other Green Bay where we went game where we went to the Super Bowl. No, that was in the regular season. The one. Pete Carroll's one. played Green Bay two times in the playoffs. Was the Atlanta game a one score game? Which one? The NFC Championship game where they missed the field goal and we called timeout?
1: That wasn't the NFC Championship game. As it turns out, the NFC Championship game was played in Santa Clara. To us, us, that was the (laughs) NFC
0: Championship game.
1: But I meant the 2000. The Devin Hester game? game.
0: Yes. Yes, that was a one score game too. I'm sure. It's closer. I guarantee you it's closer than I remember. This game is going to be close. Pete Carroll hasn't been the 7th seed
1: in any playoff run before. I can guarantee you that, sir.
0: Yeah. Well, he's hosted a game where his team was 7-9. and nine.
1: But teams do weirdly well in that scenario, which kind of fascinates me going into this Tampa Bay-Dallas game this weekend. But that's not what we're here to preview.
0: Seattle Seahawks 26, Lions 6. Following week, That was the game we got screwed in Carolina. No. Oh, we did lose 36-20. Okay. The Carolina
1: game was in 2015 after the Minnesota Well the only reason game. we
0: lost this game Was because I think there was a Devin Hester return where they called a block in the back I don't remember that one specifically It was like the I had the whole I, famous complaining About all the I refereeing know, yeah, in that I game I stand by I don't remember what I said But I stand by whatever 2017 Tristan said about that Fucking six years ago oh, I hate aging <laughs> anyway, I think, I think the Seahawks can ugly this game up they're, If they were playing almost any other team in the NFC playoffs We would say to ourselves that they had a chance in this game And the reality is They're still playing against Brock Purdy There's going to be a moment when Brock Purdy is going to be Brock Purdy I'm sorry, there is It might not be this week But it will happen It might be next week But I I'm feeling I'm feeling slightly better about this game than the spread is, and then it seems like you are.
1: Well, I guess we'll find out when we do chances of victory. Uh, I mean, I had one one more point to make to that. I think that how this game starts is going to be very important because if the Seahawks can play in the lead. That's that's going to be a good thing for them as opposed to if they have to try to come back against the San Francisco defense. That's where I think things could could really get ugly from their standpoint.
0: After Atlanta went three and out on their next drive, Hester returned the punt 80 yards to the Falcons seven yard line. But Seattle's Kevin Pierre Lewis was called for holding egregiously. (laughs) (laughs) It's in there. And the Seahawks were pushed back to their own 70-yard line on the second play of the next drive. Center Justin Britt accidentally stepped on Wilson's leg after the snap, causing Wilson to fall backwards into the end zone, where he was downed by Ben Garland for a safety. I
1: mean, the other thing about this is... They weren't
0: as good as Atlanta was then, but also, remember what I told you about how quickly life can change? Oh, fuck. Atlanta was the, like, <laughs> prohibitive favorite in a playoff game. Dan Quinn.
1: Uh, they, I don't know if you're aware, they made the Super Bowl that year, and it got canceled after they led twenty-eight to three. That's what the, that's on. what our Atlanta sports podcast, yeah, refers to. Uh,
0: Childish Gambino is the Macklemore, <laughs> <laughs> not Outcast, not we, Future.
1: We talk about we have a Atlanta <laughs> weekly TV series update. You've actually watched all four seasons in that oh, version. Uh, the is other it, thing is, like, you can talk about Brock Purdy showing up and then at an inopportune time. What about Geno Smith showing up at an, at an opportune time? Because guess who's throwing a lot more interceptions than Brock Purdy? It's Geno.
0: You're I'm, just refusing to acknowledge that. I, I we have a lot, a lot more history with Geno Smith than we do with Brock Purdy. I'm sorry, but we do. I saw, I for sat better, there, for I, better, I was at for fucking Lumen Field, and I saw Brock Purdy throw one of the worst passes I've ever seen, Mike White style, right? My injured Mike White style, Baker Mayfield style. He threw a pass that sailed over his receiver right to the, I, I wasn't intercepted, but it was it was an awful pass. And I was like, I thought to myself, and I saw Ben tweet about it after, and he was like, I underestimated Brock Purdy playing on the road. This game might be closer than I thought. And and Purdy settled down. He settled down. There were some great plays in that game. There's a lot of talent around him. But like, the he doesn't position, need to win this game. He just needs to not lose this game. The position that matters is quarterback. I don't. I don't agree with that. Every quarterback wins every game. There's no fucking Trent Dilfer game management shit. Every quarterback wins every game. Every quarterback I mean, deserves team, the credit for Teams win game. the games? Sure.
1: Quarterback record but like, is not a meaningful stat.
0: It is. Brock Purdy will have to make some plays at some point. And he probably will be capable of it. But until that happens, I will not be convinced. that is. It is, again, if if this was the 49ers, if this is Jimmy G, If this was obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the league, Patrick Mahomes, people like that, it'd be different. Yeah, if you had
1: Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs' defense and the 49ers' defense, yeah, I think that would be a little different. I agree.
0: It is the only question that the Niners have. The Seahawks
1: aren't going to score more than 14 points in this game. Get
0: the fuck out of here. They scored 13 points on offense in the two games combined. Why is that a hot take? They're scoring 20 plus points, 25% chance of victory. You're so dumb. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm getting
1: much more optimistic than FPI is. 40% chance they're
0: <laughs> in this game. You boldly you're acting like Cliff they're TCU. Kingsbury. Like, the Seahawks... It- no, the Vikings are TCU in this scenario. Let's be clear. <laughs> Colors are kind of the same. I know, right? <laughs> Quarterbacks here. You know, I don't know. Kirk Duggins. Uh, uh, but... <laughs> I'm sorry but like this game is going to be close. You know that it's going to be close. It's going to come down to some fucking bullshit at the end of the game. Have you not seen the Seahawks play football? Don't think Russell Wilson, don't think Geno Smith. Think Seattle Seahawks, think Pete Carroll. This defense is looking good. I mean, I don't think good. Russell
1: Wilson or Geno the- Smith because every game the Seahawks play is exactly the same. Exactly. Once the Russell Wilson That's are. what I'm telling you. But yes, you. they lose these games. They keep it sort of close and then you're able to say like Bill Simmons had a thing Back in the day, about like his his friend and roommate used to always say, I almost had you at that third down and Tech Mobile, and then he would always lose the game. And that to me is kind of a Pete Carroll thing.
0: Okay, well, Pete, obviously, won Pete a Carroll is fucking wins super Bowl a tremendous Kyle number has of it. games. I'm, I'm just sorry, saying, but like, what are you talking about? Like, Pete there's Carroll... no
1: glory in losing by eight points instead of 15.
0: There's not glory over, in losing by a... eight points instead of 15, but if we're talking about an eight point game where one mistake makes an issue, look, Gino's made some, obviously. But we're still fucking talking about Brock Purdy. Gino has made a lot of them, as it turns out. I revised a 60% <laughs> chance. <laughs> Seahawks are winning this game. I'm sorry, but the Seahawks are winning the game. You can feel it. You know you can feel it. I mean, the also, thing, by the there's way, there's one team who's tight as hell, and there's one team who's playing football, and that is the Seahawks.
1: I, I don't know that I would describe the 49ers that way. You wouldn't? They don't have to worry about it, because guess what? They've already been to a Super Bowl in the last five years, and to an NFC Championship game last year. And then they lost
0: again, and then they lost again, because that's what the 49ers do.
1: This is like a very college football argument. You're like
0: citing long-term history. Well, it's all the same fucking dude. I mean, we could go back to Jim Harbaugh losing in the Super Bowl, but they play really close games, and then they lose... They lost to trash Matthew Stafford last year. Do you not remember that? There's a quarterback in the NFL who's worse than Geno Smith, and his name is Matthew Stafford. And he beat the San Francisco 49ers a year ago. You don't remember this? He just needs that Lions offensive line. <laughs> How dare you at the Lions offensive line? They're good. <laughs> This is a team that they they are. This is going to be a close game. I Brock it's Purdy is a not. Close game, are but you that trying that doesn't to tell mean me, the Seahawks are going to win it? It is going. It is going to be like four points, one way or the other. It's going to be tight as hell. We are. Our stomachs are going to be. They're going to be feeling horrible. We are going to have the most miserable time watching this playoff game. I, I'm not really because I, I, hate I have it. zero
1: expectations for it. And
0: the, you know who else this, has zero you expectations want to do the, for it is The fucking Seahawks too. The, the nine This matters. The Niners think they're winning the Super Bowl this year. The Seahawks don't. We're living on borrowed time. Give us the fifth pick in the draft. The Seahawks
1: do think they're winning the Super Bowl this year. I don't know if you've met Pete Carroll again. We are
0: playing football, and the Niners are tight as hell.
1: The only thing about life comes at you fast in the NFL is we used to feel like the Seahawks had a schematic advantage over the 49ers. That like, whether oh, it was Jimmy G or whatever it was, the Seahawks kind of owned the Niners. No, it was always California about Jimmy and G
0: would make a terrible mistake at the wrong time. And you're telling me that you're more confident in Brock Purdy. I'm just I'm telling you that Jimmy G didn't confidence. make
1: a mistake at the wrong time in week two
0: because his team was up twenty-eight to nothing. I think this team can pass block better too. Give me Charles Cross against Nick Bosa. Give me Ken Walker against this line. The Seahawks are also going to run for hundred yards in this game. <laughs> you just like progressively making polar <laughs> predictions. And I told you straight up, Godwin to go BK. He is taking a kickback. I mean, if he does that, that,
1: that changes the tenor of the game. I, I agree with that. He's so close. He is so he close. he very close to breaking them.
0: Oh, I just, I, I really feel it. I also felt a TCU victory on Monday, <laughs> I will say. Oh, now you're admitting this. <laughs> I, I'm giving the all takes, Tristan. But I just, I feel like we're winning this game. Anyway, I'm, stick, I'm sticking with 40%. But it's going to be fun. Whatever. We're playing fucking playoff football. We're living on borrowed time. Who cares? It's all gravy from here on now. It's awesome. Gino Smith is playing in a fucking playoff game. Russell Wilson is not. That's it. That's all that matters. We get one more week of this. And if we could get a week after that, that'd be amazing. Literally the only reason that winning matters is to play more football. That's all that we care about is another week to care and not, to be excited. Let's the fucking matters. go. I on, can't wait. On that note. Thanks for listening.
1: Thanks.